Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26, reading through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And then they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here ends the reading. Bring grace, peace, mercy to you from God, our Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, in our text, we see how new life, a new life is brought to an Ethiopian eunuch. This is what baptism marks and does. It is both a sign and a reality that the person who is washed by that water, cleansed in the word, they have been given and begin a new life. They are now a son and daughter of the living God. That person is a part and marked, marked, as a part of the family of God. And in that family, in the church, that is what the church is, the family of God, God's people, that is where this new life is guided and worked out. And that's what it means, really, in the end, to be a part of the church, to have that identity of a brand new life, an identity found to be as a son and daughter of the living God through Christ. That's what we see with the Ethiopian today. That's what the story is about. That's the big idea. That's sort of the narrative, the conclusion. But that's, and we see that in his baptism, and that's what we also see in our own baptisms as well. 
And the past few weeks, Pastor Garrett has been working through this sermon series since Easter titled Apostolic Impact, where we've been looking at how the message of Easter, you know, this message, this good news of this guy named Jesus from Nazareth, how he came back to life, how that message resonated, impacted, and changed the world around the early church, the early Christians. And in turn, what we've been doing is looking at how that changes our life today, that impact, the implications of that message, that good news. And so kind of like, I went back and forth and all over with this text the past week or two. Where do I go? What direction do I, I land with this? And sort of the way that I thought would be best is like, or one of the questions that came up to me a lot was sort of like, well, okay, what's the impact? What's the implication of that message, the good news? So, so what's this baptism tell us? We see baptisms all the time in the church. We saw one just a few weeks ago, two weeks ago here. But what does this baptism of this Ethiopian eunuch, what does this teach us about the implications, the impact of the good news? How did the good news in this story, in this setting, to this one man, uh, how does this intersect with our daily lives here as, as moderns, 21st century Americans? And the best way to, I think, start doing that is to really examine and look at the character of who this person is. Who was the person being baptized? Like, what do we know about him? And so that's what I want to start with today. Who is this man from Ethiopia? So let's start there. He's Ethiopian. That's the first point. Pretty obvious one. He's Ethiopian which we could just think of like the modern day Ethiopia, but in this sense, the kingdom of Ethiopia in this time and age, it's, it's more modern day Sudan. And it was a powerful, very powerful, rich kingdom, a kingdom uh, to be recognized, if you will. Uh, but what does this tell us about this person? Well, first it tells us he's a foreigner in the setting of Acts. You know, it's from Jerusalem to Gaza. They're in Israel. This man is a foreigner. It has been at least a thousand-mile journey for him to get to Jerusalem. This man is on the outside. Not just that, but even literarily. Um, in the ancient Greco kind of world, the world that we're in when we're in the Scriptures and the New Testament, Ethiopia we see in other places, in other literature. When Ethiopia is used, it's used to signify the ends of the earth. Now, if you know the book of Acts, you know how significant that is. Because at the beginning of the book of Acts, the very beginning in chapter one, we have Jesus and we have the apostles. And Jesus prophesies. He gives them a mission, these apostles. He gives them this prophetic uh, uh, message that they, the apostles, will go out and they will be witnesses of Christ. They will spread this good news of his death and his resurrection, and they will be witnesses to that in all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then Jesus says, and to the ends of the earth. And right before the story of the Ethiopian and the eunuch, in chapters five, six, seven, and we get to eight, what do we see? We see the apostles first witness in Jerusalem. We see them go out to Judea. And right before this, we find Philip 
in Samaria. That's where he's being called to. And now all of a sudden, he's on a desert road and he encounters an Ethiopian. He encounters the ends of the earth. So the first impact, implication of this message is that it has no boundaries. There's no cultural, ethnic divide that prevents a person from receiving this message of good news of the man named Jesus from Nazareth. Even if you are a foreigner or find yourself in that sort of archetype, that setting in life right now, on the outside, on the peripheral, the good news has no boundaries. One, he's an Ethiopian, he's a foreigner. This will all come back, it's important. Number two, he's a eunuch. Who? <laughs> <Ooh>, yay. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I'm not going to get into detail. I'm not going to describe what that really means in the sense, parents, you can do that at home. But what it does mean, and this will be the word you might have to describe, is it, almost certainly this man was castrated. You know, that's dismembered. And, and, and why, right? Like, what's the point to that? There's two ways that this could have kind of come about to this person. One would have been by force. The other would have been by choice. That's basically everything in life. But force or choice? Why force? Well, it could have happened in the sense that this man could have been a slave somewhere else, captured by Ethiopia, and they found out he was really smart, and they wanted to put him to work. And so they did that deed to him in order to prevent him from having any conflict of interests of a future heir, of having a family. His interests would be solely in the monarchy and the state and his work. So that's one. So if that's that, I mean, think about this man and, and the sort of situation he finds himself, the grief and the oppression that he's felt in his life, being forced to do something like that. The second one would be by choice, and why on earth would you choose that? Am I right, men? And it's not as, it is crazy to us, for sure. But it isn't as crazy as you think it is. Because the reason he would have done this by choice is to do exactly what he's doing. He's the treasurer of Ethiopia. He's like the CFO. He's the chief financial officer of this country. The dude is wealthy, very wealthy. We know that not just because of his title, but one, he's reading what? A, a, the prophet of Isaiah. He has a scroll of Isaiah. At this time period, we take this for granted, having just a book like this that costs $14.99 at Barnes & Noble. To have a scroll, a written text like this would cost vast amounts of money. Middle-class folks would not be able to afford that. You would have to be extremely wealthy to have a scroll of the Bible or a scroll in general. And number two, he's also on this journey. He would have most certainly had to have paid for this trip to Jerusalem for himself. And it wouldn't have just probably been him. It would have been a whole excursion, a royal excursion going to Jerusalem. This man is very wealthy. The reason he would have chose this mark, if you will, this, this vow was so that he could get to where he wants to be, the ambition that's inside of him. And now that's not as crazy as we think it is. Because here today, we, we wrestle with that, the ambition in you. Why do you make the choices that you make? 
You know, maybe you should be at home and at dinner, but the office called. You got to get down that work phone call, that ambition to get to where you want to be. He's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. And that brings me to the third thing. The third thing we know about him is he's searching. He's discerning. There's a certain element of, of these two things, of being this foreigner and this eunuch that actually aren't satisfying him in life. Because why is he where he is in the first place? We're told that he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. And if you're going to Jerusalem to worship, you're going to the temple of Yahweh. It means he's encountered something of the Old Testament, something of Judaism, something of the living God in Israel that's drawn him to take a thousand miles to pay a large sum of money to go all the way to worship, to find the God that might include him and love him and bring him into his fold. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that because his basic identity won't allow him to encounter this God at the temple. He's searching, he's discerning, he's he's going out into this world looking for answers to his purpose, his, his, his identity, who is he, his belonging. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he almost certainly would have been denied to worship. The law would have prevented him. In Leviticus chapter 22, verse 3, it says, no foreigner can present sacrifices at the temple. Sacrifice, and you might be like, oh, sacrifice, I don't want to do that. That's crazy. Uh, Sacrifice is this key element to worship in Judaism, in, in, in temple Judaism. To not be able to sacrifice, you wouldn't be able to worship. It was the atonement for your sins. But as a foreigner, he wouldn't, he'd be cut off from this. He would not be allowed in. And in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it says that a eunuch, a person who's dismembered, they could not enter into the assembly of God. So not just can he not offer sacrifices, but he can't even go inside and worship. And this kind of leads me to think that the state of this man, whatever, the state of this man, where he's at on his journey back home, it's got to feel like empty pockets. It's got to feel like he's in a very dry, desolate place. Who am I? And who I am isn't good enough. And it won't even allow me to encounter this God that I've been drawn to, to go all of this way. Where do I belong? They won't even let me in. At best, he would be in what they call the the courts of the Gentiles, which is like so far away from anything significant at the temple. To go there, it's not worshiping. And to me, it's like he's walking back. He's in his chariot. He's going back home. And to me, there, there's, there's this identity crisis. And I, and I think that resonates with a lot of us. It resonates with me. Who am I? Like, what is it about me that people like? Where do I belong? Who are the people that are with me? Who are the people who will love me and accept me? 
What's my purpose? What am I here to do? Why am I a treasurer? I have all of this money. But what's the point? Have you ever asked those types of questions? To me, he's got to be feeling like totally rejected, totally in shame, in exclusion, on the outside, on the peripheral, on the outer edges, out of bounds. But what's amazing is that though he's, he's wrestling through this, where does he find himself wrestling through this? He finds himself in the actual scriptures themselves. That's where he went. And the beauty is, is that this story really isn't about him. You know, the main character of this whole narrative that we just read, 26 to 40, and not just that, but the whole book of Acts in and of itself, it's a fun little thing that we always say. It's the, titled The Acts of the Apostles, but it's not a good name for the book because the main character really isn't the apostles. The main character isn't the eunuch. The main character isn't Philip here. The main character is the Spirit of God. God has ordained this moment for this man who is out of bounds, out on the edges, in order to come and encounter him. Human religion put him on the outside, but the living God said, no, fine, I'll come to you. And so he sends Philip. And what does Philip find this guy reading? It's amazing. It's like, the Spirit of God could not have set up an easier conversion for Philip. And because of that, and because of the connections that happen in that, I really want you to see it. So I'm going to ask you to actually pick up your Bibles that are in front of you. And I want you to turn to the prophet of Isaiah. Now, the Ethiopian, he's reading in chapter 53, and that's where I want you to go. He starts in verse 7. So you're going to go to Isaiah 53. Now, before we get into it, I want you to get there. But before we get there, kind of what's going on in Isaiah? Why does this message matter so much, right? That's the question. Why does this baptism have such an impact on how we understand the gospel in our own lives? So, so what is Isaiah doing that helps do this? And why is it such an easy sort of setup for Philip? Well, in the beginning of Isaiah, what we have is, is, is Israel has rejected Yahweh. Israel has rejected God. But God announces good news, literally the word in Hebrew, good news to Israel. And the good news is that God is going to come to Israel and that God is going to restore Israel, that God is going to turn their hearts toward him. And the way that he's going to do it is he's going to send one, one person, one person as a representative, a witness, it says, a witness to Yahweh and his works and his word. And when we get to chapter 40, from chapter 40 to 66, we have this cohesive unit, this theme that's being played out, and it's about this witness, this one person that Yahweh is going to send to the nation of Israel. And I forgot this. The good news is that this servant is going to come, restore Israel, save Israel, but it's not just going to save Israel. It's going to go out to the ends of the earth. It's going to go out to the whole world. And from 40 to 66, it's all about who this person is and what this work of this person is going to be like. In fact, this is good Sunday reading for you today. 
Isaiah 40 to 66. And the motif, the theme is typically called the suffering servant. Because all of a sudden, when we get to chapter 40, this person, this good news that's going to be heralding it, we see that he's going to suffer. We see that he's going to go through pain and anguish in order to accomplish this work on behalf of Yahweh, of bringing all the nations into God. And so the eunuch is sort of in the middle of this, this section, this this motif, this theme of teaching who the servant will be. And so in verse seven, this is where the eunuch picks up. He reads, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away and for this generation who considered. Now we've heard all of that in the eunuch, right? In, in the passage, that was who was reading. And as we keep going, what are we going to learn about the servant? What's going to happen? That he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. So this servant, this person that Yahweh is going to send to Israel to save the world, to save Israel, one, he's going to be cut off. He's going to be rejected rejected as God was rejected in the beginning and rejected in the same sense, I think, that the youth Ethiopian is feeling at this sense when he goes to Jerusalem. There's going to be this rejection of this servant. But not just that, he's going to die stricken. But he's dying for a purpose, for the transgressions, for the sins of my people, for God's people. He's going to die for the sins and transgressions for his, for God's people. Let's keep going. And they made his, uh, this is verse eight, uh, verse nine. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. <laughs> Jesus. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He's gonna do all of this. He's gonna suffer, but he's gonna be innocent. In verse 10. This is where it gets a little confusing. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, all the sins, all the transgressions of his people, he will see his offspring. He shall prosper all his days. Out of, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. This, this servant is going to suffer going to be rejected. It's going to die for the sins of God's people, but he will see again. He will be satisfied. He will live a new life. He will come back to life. The suffering servant is, is, is not just going to die, not just going to die for the sins of his people, but he's also going to come back to life and see his offspring, see his family move out. Now, here's the thing. I think we only get verses seven and eight, really, with the Ethiopians reading. But what we're told in Acts eight, right, is that Philip, he goes on from this very verse to explain the good news of Jesus. And I, um, not just me, but like smarter people than me and commentators and stuff, I'm with some of them when they say that I think Philip kept going on the suffering servant motif. 
I think he kept reading the prophet Isaiah with, with the eunuch because I want you to flip ahead just two pages to Isaiah 56. Because in Isaiah 56, we start to see the effect of, of this work of the suffering servant. We get to see who these, who, a version or at least a type of who this person is, who the people are that the servant is going to save. We're going to see an impact, an implication of what the servant's work of his death and then his coming back to life is going to do. Starting in verse three, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from my people. Let not the foreigner say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Part of the effect of what the servant is going to do is he's breaking down the boundary of that law that we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. No longer does the foreigner have to not sacrifice because the servant himself is the sacrifice. But instead, the foreigner is brought into the family of God through the servant. Continuing from verse 3, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument in my name and a name better than sons and daughters. I will be giving them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Number one, doesn't matter whether or not he's a foreigner anymore because of Christ. It doesn't matter whether or not he's a eunuch. The suffering servant has said, no, 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 no. Yes, as a eunuch, you have chosen that you, you can't have a family. You can't, right? That's, that's the choice that you've made or the way in which you've been forced into. But what the servant has offered him is this everlasting family, a name greater than sons and daughters, where his identity has been decided for him. And that's what we see. It's exactly what we see in the text today in Acts 8, when the eunuch jumps into the waters. Essentially what God is saying to the eunuch, what he's saying to me, is that if you identify with me, if you are faithful to me, if you jump into the waters that I am present in, in my word, in my spirit, in his work, if you do that, then you are a part of my family. And that's pretty big, right? Those, those, those big questions that we have as human beings, it's all settled by the gospel and message of Christ. That's the apostolic impact. That's the implication of Jesus of Nazareth being raised from the dead is now that all, no matter who you are, no matter what, what you identify with in your life, there's nothing, there's no barrier to hold you back from entering into an identity that is everlasting. 
the one that is more satisfying than anything in this world could ever offer you and give you. Think of, think of how that story progresses, right? Like the eunuch goes, see, here's water. What's preventing me? Like he's this, this moment of excitement. He's coming back from Jerusalem, disappointed, feeling on the outer bounds. And yet here, there's water. Let me jump right in. The key, the hermeneutic, the key to life is Christ and Christ alone. It's a miracle what happens with this Ethiopian because it shouldn't have happened. In fact, the story is funny. Like, I think it's a, like, if you read Acts 8, I think it's Luke who's writing this. You know, he's the author that God has inspired, and he's chosen to put things together in a very specific way. I think God has inspired human authors to put together things in a brilliant way. And this text, is, I think it's really funny, kind of, because it, it, the whole occurrence is sort of dripping with, like, it's not sarcasm, it's a little bit of irony. Philip is, call, Philip is on a mission right now. When we look in the, when Acts, he's on an evangelism tour. He's going around preaching the gospel. He's, he's trying to bring people into the church, make them Christians. And the Spirit calls him out to a desert road. You know, you're not supposed to find anybody on that road. And not just that, but he's in a chariot. Like, we just glaze over that. We think, oh, that's just normal. But I think there's irony in that, and it's kind of supposed to be a little funny because you don't ever go up to moving traffic and think, oh, this is the person I'm supposed to meet right now. Like, the first few seconds of this encounter would have been Philip running, going, hey, what you reading up there? It's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen also based off of these guys' identities. A foreigner, an Ethiopian. They're not supposed to interact this way. None of this is supposed to happen. But again, who's the main actor? It's the Spirit of God. And that's why there's only three more final points for you today, really, to rest in and hold on to. That this whole narrative, I think, teaches us about the impact, about the implications of being a Christian in the 21st century today. And there's three things that actually motivate this story. There's three things that make this impossible story a very probable and possible story. It's the spirit, it's the word, and it's the water. Without those three things, this story is just two guys meeting each other on a desert road. Great, wonderful. But it's the spirit who orchestrates all of this. It's the spirit who makes this impossible, probable encounter very likely possible and real. Trust in the spirit. No matter where you are right now in your life, whatever questions you have, whatever's putting you on the out, out of bounds, the outer uh, 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 peripheral, trust in the spirit. Because unexpected circumstances can, can the most, the worst circumstances is where the spirit can work. Number two, the word, right? The eunuch is reading the word and Philip hears the word and it's the word that teaches this eunuch the good news of Jesus. 
Like I said, Philip was given like just an easy tee off. Trust in the word because the word is powerful and effective. And number three, there's the water in a desert. You know, it's funny. It's not supposed to be there. And for you, the, the driest circumstances in your life, there's always water to be found. There's always the remembrance of your baptism. I know it's like, what does this matter, right? Like if you've been baptized or you've been a Christian for, for so long, like why does it matter? Remember your baptism each and every day. It's the claim of who you are. Luther teaches us that in his catechism. Each and every day we drown ourselves in our baptism. Each and every day there's a renewal in the life of Christ. Each and every day there's a saying, I am not that, I am his. I am his son and I am his daughter. It's living each and every day in that identity. And if you're not baptized, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk. Talk to Pastor Garrett. He's fancier than I am, I guess, with it all, right? He's ordained. But if you're not baptized, or you know someone who's not baptized, you have a place. You have a place at the table in the kingdom. You have an identity that's being offered to you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. Even though we make those things all the time, right? Like, gosh, race, ethnicity, we're still today, really? 2021, it's still a reality, the fact that human beings can't get it right, that it's not as big of a deal as we made it out to be. But the message of Christ says it full force. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. Doesn't matter what race, ethnicity, origin, doesn't matter. The message of Christ is for you. And it's not about where you come from, it's about where you're going and who you're with. Claim that identity, make it the source of all of who you are. That's my prayer for you this week. That this week you're constantly renewed, reminded, and refreshed by the Spirit, the Word in the water. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for claiming us as your sons, as your daughters. We thank you for your word and how it shapes and forms and molds us into your likeness, into who you want us to be your son and your daughter. Lord, we pray that you strengthen us each day, that you give us grace upon grace as we move throughout our daily lives. And Lord, give us the perseverance and strength to claim the identity that we are rooted in you and your son and that alone. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.